I'm Aaron Henkin. This is the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. Hi, my name is Joanna Reed, and I was wondering how Old Bay got started and why is it so much a part of the Maryland identity? Joanna, are you a fan of Old Bay? Do you you consume it regularly? I don't, no, but it seems to be everywhere. Whenever I've traveled around the country, everybody identifies Old Bay with Maryland. I'm going to see what I can figure out for you. It's a good question. Thank you. So to answer this question, I've got some help here from someone who has done a lot of research on this topic. Her name is Jen Wheeler. I'm a writer primarily about all things food, and I'm currently doing a lot of freelance writing for static media, um, mostly for their food site, mash.com. Jen recently wrote a brilliant feature for mash.com. It's titled The Untold Truth of Old Bay Seasoning. And it turned out to be this really fascinating story that I was I was really surprised that I had not heard before. It's a story that starts with a man named Gustav Brun. So Gustav Brun, he was born Gustav Brungasser in Bavaria in southern Germany in 1893. And we actually have a recording of his voice. I was born in, uh, in Germany in Bastheim, a small town in Bavaria. Brun and his family recorded a two-hour oral history with the Jewish Museum of Maryland back in 1980. The audio quality is pretty scratchy, but Jen Wheeler parsed through it and learned that Mr. Brun went to school until he was 13, then he started working in a leather tannery, and he stayed in that line of work for a long time. Until just after World War I, when he moved into the spice business. And he did really well with this spice business until the early 1930s. Which, of course, was when the Nazis came to power in Germany. Like every other Jewish citizen in Germany at the time, he suffered a lot of discrimination, including sanctions against his business. So at first it was things, you know, like the government telling people not to shop at Jewish businesses, but eventually it was actually illegal for Jewish people to own their own business. That's when Gustav Brun decided it's time to get out of here. And he had an uncle who lived in Baltimore, so he was able to get an affidavit because you needed somebody who already lived in the States to vouch for you. So they got their affidavit, They bought their steamship tickets, and then Kristallnacht happened. In November 1938, uh, Kristallnacht, the night of broken glass, so Gestapo officers um, and other Nazis just totally destroyed scores of, you know, Jewish homes and businesses and synagogues and brutalized people in the middle of the night. So the Bruns were actually passed over that night, according to family memoir, Uh, The mob accidentally targeted a non-Jewish neighbor's house or apartment instead. So they escaped attention that night. But the next day, um, the government had decreed basically that everyone who owned guns who was Jewish had to turn them in. And so the Bruns, they had a family tradition of hunting. So Gustav went to turn in his weapons and he was arrested. Um, Like thousands of other Jewish men were arrested um, on Kristallnacht and right after. And these men were taken to concentration camps. Gustav was sent to Buchenwald, and he got sick with pneumonia right after he got there. But his wife, miraculously, got him out after 11 days. They had the affidavit. They had the steamship tickets. And then his wife was able to basically bribe a lawyer in Frankfurt. She paid... This exorbitant sum, which I believe was equivalent to around $200,000, to intercede with the administration and have her husband released. They were aboard a steamship to the U.S. within the week. And they weren't able, obviously, to take very much with them. But one thing that Gustav did bring was his electric spice grinder, which turned out to be really important to the family. 
That spice grinder, by the way, is still around today. It's on display at the Baltimore Museum of Industry. And if you're thinking it's like this little handheld gadget, you're in for a surprise. It's at least half as tall as museum director Anita Kassoff. This is the spice grinder that was used um, to invent the seasoning blend that came to be known as Old Bay. I gotta say, it looks more like a car engine than a spice grinder. You've got fan belts, you've got, you know, multiple transmission belts, and and the thing's got to weigh at least probably 200 pounds. Yeah, we had to get special equipment to move it in here. Um, Well, they were making a lot of Old Bay, you know. It had to be big enough to accommodate that. All right, back to the story of Gustav Brun. He's now freshly arrived in Baltimore. It's 1938. He gets his family set up in an apartment. They get the kids enrolled in school. And then Brun goes out to try to find a job without much luck. He picked up work here and there, but nothing was lasting. Jen Wheeler says things went on like this for nine months. And in the meanwhile, he was taking... English classes, and he was networking within the Jewish community, uh, not just in Baltimore, but up in New York. And uh, there he connected with this spice importer that he'd worked with back in Germany, and they actually extended him a line of credit. So he started his own business. So the Baltimore Spice Company started in September 1939. And yeah, it really took off. But Old Bay came along in 1941. And that's the moment in history when a German-Jewish immigrant invented arguably the best thing ever to happen to shellfish. So um, the original building where he set up the Baltimore Spice Company, it was one floor above Southern Seafood Company, and it was right across the street from the wholesale fish market of Baltimore. Now, it's not like no one had ever thought to season shellfish before. The local seafood vendors would come in to Brune's shop and order seasoning blends from him for their shrimp and the crabs. But these were pretty simple mixtures of dry mustard and salt and pepper. And Brune, he'd prepare these blends the way the vendors asked, but the wheels were turning inside his head for a much more complex formula. It's what he did. He was a spice maker, and he got to work on his own original creation. Just one problem, though. No one wanted to buy it. They had their tried-and-true mixes, and, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So the story is that he gave some of his blend away to a crab vendor just to try it out. And that guy saw a huge spike in sales. So he came back to buy more and just word started spreading and more vendors came in. And it just really grew in popularity until eventually he was also selling it in smaller sizes for the retail market. because everybody loved it. And that's how Old Bay got its start. Though it wasn't called Old Bay at first. Brune had given it the rather uninspired name delicious brand shrimp and crab seasoning. Doesn't quite roll off the tongue. So allegedly, Gustav had a friend who was in advertising, and he suggested this much catchier name of Old Bay, um, which was also the name of a steamship line that was running between Baltimore and Virginia at the time. So apparently he liked that one, not stuck. Now, meanwhile, at this point in the story, there's another local spice company in Baltimore, a business called McCormick. It had gotten its start earlier, though, in 1889. And it was just a little one-room door-to-door sales operation that I think was run out of someone's basement. But by, yeah, 1939, it had gotten pretty big. And according to Gustav's son, Ralph, um, his dad actually did work there at McCormick, but only for three days before he was fired. There's actually disagreement within the Brune family, if you listen back to the oral history tapes, about why Gustav was fired from McCormick. Gustav said it was because he couldn't speak enough English. But his son, Ralph, is convinced that it was because of the prevailing anti-Semitism of the era. If you ask the McCormick Spice Company about it, 
They'll tell you they can't even confirm whether or not he worked there. We actually don't have any data about that. It was so long ago. Jill Pratt is McCormick's chief marketing officer. We just don't have employment records back to 1939 to be able to substantiate it. So it's a bit of folklore at this point. Uh, We do know, you know, he did create his own spice business, which was pretty successful. Yeah, things ended up working out pretty well for Gustav Brun in the end. He went into business for himself. And by the 1980s, when the Brun family did that interview with the Jewish Museum of Maryland, Jen Wheeler says they were making more than 16,000 different products and they had seven factories, including one in Costa Rica and another one in Israel. So it had grown into this huge operation so far beyond that one floor in the building by the fish market. Gustav Brun eventually passed away in 1985. He was 92 years old at the time. Before he passed, though, he did sell his iconic Old Bay brand seasoning to an unlikely company, Smith Corona Machines. Yes, that's Smith Corona, the typewriter company. At the time, they had a food subsidiary, and then Smith Corona ended up selling Old Bay to a UK company called Hansen, and ultimately, Hansen sold it to, you guessed it, McCormick. What they ended up paying for Old Bay, if you ask McCormick? There was not uh, an official price that was disclosed. But if you ask Jen Wheeler, she says the newspapers in 1990 estimated the price to be... Allegedly for somewhere between 11 and $14 million. So it took a while for them to get it, and they paid a lot for it. But yeah, they ended up with it in the end. You're listening to the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. After the break, we'll hear how that purchase has worked out for McCormick. And we'll try to get an answer to the question, what exactly is in Old Bay? Has anyone ever figured out the secret formula? People have tried. More in a moment. Jill Pratt from McCormick says about a third of the Old Bay that they sell goes to customers in the Mid-Atlantic, and they sell a lot of Old Bay. In general, we sell about 300,000 units weekly, and I bought 1.4 million units monthly, which translates to about $77 million in retail sales in a year. But again, about 30% of that is sold around this region, so that brand feels even bigger here in Baltimore. What can and can't you tell me about what's in Old Bay? (laughs) Well, you know, Old Bay, like every other food product, does have an ingredient statement. Um, So there's 18 herbs and spices. The primary ones, of course, are celery, salt, paprika, red pepper, and black pepper. And the rest are a proprietary blend that falls under the catch-all spices on the ingredients list. Absolutely. That said, there are plenty of culinary sleuths out there who've done their best to try to solve the mystery of the 18 herbs and spices. Jen Wheeler is certain that dry mustard is in the mix. That's one of the crab vendor's original spices that inspired Gustav Brun in the first place. Other guesses include... Cinnamon, mace, which is really similar to nutmeg. Ginger, cloves, coriander. Um, There's also cardamom. You can find these vintage old bay tins that actually do name check that one. Um, They also say laurel leaves instead of bay leaves, but same thing. McCormick has also confirmed what isn't in Old Bay for people with dietary restrictions. There's no onion or garlic. No cumin, no sesame, no turmeric. No sugar or starch or yeast. No MSG, no cilantro. And it's also gluten-free, and as it happens, it is kosher. Fans of Old Bay have discovered over the years that it's also not just for crabs. It's kind of more like, you know, what can't you do with this stuff? Um, A lot of people love 
just sprinkling it on their deviled eggs or their popcorn, their french fries, that's a big thing. Corn on the cob, baked potatoes, you can use it as a rub basically on any kind of meat. People like putting it in their fried chicken dredge. Shrimp salad, biscuits, cornbread, hush puppies, fritters. You can put it on tofu because it's vegan. Also really great in Bloody Marys and I've just recently been seeing this Old Bay flavored vodka online, uh, which I haven't tried, but I mean, no reason that shouldn't work. People love Old Bay on everything. And actually, the other thing that they love Old Bay on is themselves. Do yourself a favor and Google Old Bay tattoos. Jill Pratt from McCormick says Old Bay has transcended from food product to symbol of regional identity. So other than tattoos, Old Bay apparel and accessories are hugely popular. And I think one of the things that's interesting, you talk about Old Bay apparel and Old Bay masks became pretty popular during the pandemic. And it becomes a discussion piece. So if you see somebody, particularly in another state, like an airport, who's wearing an Old Bay mask, people will stop and talk to you. They'll say, oh, Old Bay, I love Old Bay, and they'll want to chat with you about it. So it's the kind of brand equity that you actually can't pay for. It's so amazing. We love being a part of of Old Bay, and I would say it's uh, a brand that we can just talk about and the word travels. Now, as far as why it's that way, you know, Old Bay is intrinsically linked with another product that Marylanders are very excited about, which is crabs, obviously. So in the time that Old Bay was created, crabs were so plentiful that bars around the Chesapeake Bay would give away crabs for free and douse it with seasoning to sell more beer, which is where they made their money. And so, you know, that idea of crabs and seasoned crabs became very much a part of the culture. And people associate Old Bay with warm summer nights, good friends, crab feast, seafood in general. And it's just something that makes people feel good. So, listen, we're coming up on the end of the story here, and as we do, I'm going to turn things over to food writer Jen Wheeler one more time, who's been such a great help on this episode. I highly recommend checking out her website, jenwheelerwrites.com. She's got food history articles up there, how-tos, recipes. Jen is a food writer's food writer, and as such, she happens to be really good at explaining how stuff tastes. So, if you're someone who has listened to this story up to this point and has never actually had the pleasure of tasting Old Bay, here is Jen's very eloquent description. Sommeliers of the world, take note. It's decidedly savory and it's spicy. It's a kind of, to me, like a tingly, zippy sort of burn. It's not punishingly hot, but it definitely lingers. And it's also really salty, but I think that it has a really nice balance between all of those top notes. Um, Then it's also earthy and it's a little bit herbaceous from the bay leaves. Um, with this kind of bright sharpness from the mustard. And then you have the sweet spices like the cinnamon and the cloves, which they don't make it taste sweet, but it's just so fragrant and complex. And then you also get on top of all of that, those little pops of celery seed, which is really distinctive. And it, it sounds like almost too much, but it just really works beautifully. And then, you know, to me, it's incredibly corny, but in the simplest terms, like Old Bay just always tastes like home. All right, I've got listener Joanna Reed with me right now. Joanna, you asked this week's question about the story behind Old Bay. What are you left thinking here at the end of this episode? Well, I'm left thinking that I'm going to go check out that spice grinder at the museum. <laughs> it's huge. It's It looks more like a wood chipper than a spice grinder. <laughs> really fascinating story of how it got started and came over from Germany. Just amazing, really, truly amazing story. I'm glad you asked, Joanna, also about how it became this kind of iconic regional marker of identity. And I, I think that was, that was touched on uh, pretty well in this story, too. Yeah. 
Absolutely. It's, it really is part of, of Maryland and this whole uh, area of the East Coast. So it's really interesting to hear how that happened. Are you inspired to get an Old Bay tattoo now? No. <laughs> but perhaps I'll get an Old, old Bay mask or a sweatshirt. <laughs> that seems like a safer place to start. Joanna, I want to thank you for an excellent question. Uh, I had a blast making this story, and I, I learned a lot. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. All right, that is going to wrap it up for this episode of the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, an original production of WYPR in Baltimore. Got a question of your own? You can put me to work at wypr.org curiosity. And where we go next is up to you. And uh, hey, if you like the show, do me a favor and drop a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you listen on. Just a line or two. Your words really do help other curious listeners find out about the show. Appreciate you. For the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, I'm Aaron Henkin. Thanks for listening. Be in touch. And we'll do it again next week. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is made possible with grant support from the Peel Center for Baltimore History and Architecture. Online at thepeelcenter.org.